Hello. So today we are here with one of my favorite people, Amanda from New York, who is one of my one-on-one clients. We did one-on-one work together for a few months. Um, And I would love for her to tell you a little bit about her story and her experience. So hello, Amanda. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me and connecting back with me and being in touch with me. Um, Yes, I am Amanda um, from New York City. Um, You want me to just like tell you who I am and stuff? Yeah, tell us who you are. Um, I am a mom of two, um, married. I had a pretty stressful job for 20 years, um, pretty high profile position and um, left that job, just got a new job, now working in city government. Um, but I have a pretty full life, a pretty demanding career, and I'm a lot of things to a lot of people. And um, I've always had my hand in many pots, I guess. Yeah. Um, trying to do it all. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about Way before you and I met and way before you and I started working together, I think it's always important to start with because we've all been living in a body and eating food from the beginning of our time here as a human. What was it like for you as a kid, just in kind of a general sense around your relationship with food, eating and your body? Um, When I was a kid, I had um, a pretty normal childhood. I'm one of three, my parents remarried. And then my mom had more kids with my stepdad. But um, for the like formative years, it was myself and two brothers. Um, Our parents had a pretty um, tumultuous and um, ugly divorce. And um, a lot of my childhood memories center on meals with my dad on the weekends. um, And meals conversely with my mom during the week where there were opposite rules happening. My dad was a free for all. And my mom was very rigid and cooked meals that I didn't necessarily like. And my dad was sort of like all hands, you know, whatever you want to have, it doesn't matter. Um, and during the week with my mom, there was always a lot of tension at the table. And I, and I know that, um, I had two, as I said, I have two brothers and there was always like a lot of competition for who was eating what, how they were eating it, whether I was having it, what there would be enough. We weren't, we weren't poor, but we weren't really wealthy. And, and because my parents were divorced, my dad made payment, you know, payments and stuff to my mom. And there was always like an idea of whether or not, especially as our family got bigger, we would have enough to have extras. Like it would be, um, or if we had food that we liked, if somebody like my mom would buy like bonbons or whatever, and she would hide them. So there was always like, this possessive piece, there was always this tension piece and there was always a comfort piece because when I was with my dad on the weekends and it was like all, you know, it was a free for all. It was so different than what I experienced during the week when we weren't even like allowed to have water at the dinner table, like for, for dinner, we didn't have drinks at dinner. And then at the same time I had um, a grandmother who was very lovely and um, cooked these amazing Sunday dinners. And that's really where I felt like love. So I had a lot of love around food, a lot of tension around food. I had a lot of possessiveness, a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension. And, you know, as a kid, also fun, right? Like you'd hang out, like it was fun to eat the world with my dad and my brothers and get Haagen-Dazs ice cream and Entenmann's cookies and whatever else you could eat. In those formative years though, it was food was definitely a lot of things that I realize now were, emotionally connected at the time I probably just thought it was normal but years you know with hindsight you realize like oh wow there's there was a lot there with with me with food yeah so I think you bring up just a really important concept around a formative years of just being really young and b food being a lot of things connected to emotion and c that you're not conscious of that Like as you're growing up, food was fun and love and comfort and also tension and stress and anxiety. But as a kid, and I don't know because it's different for everyone, but it sounds like for you, it wasn't really part of your awareness at the time. It was just kind of in the background. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think probably like around the time you're in seventh or eighth grade, like that was the first time I ever went on a diet. The diet was like so absurd. It was like, it, it bears repeating because it was so stupid. It was like, um, my friend and I would split 
a, a plain cinnamon bagel, no, a plain bagel with cream cheese. I would eat one half. She would have one half. And like, we'd have, I had a ginger ale. Like that was the cal- the calorie deficit. Like what? <laughs> but that was really the first time. And then another time we went as a child, as a kid, we went to like Amish country for a, a like a week vacate, you know, some kind of vacation that didn't feel like a vacation. And we went to one of those like breakfast buffets. And then when you're a kid, they do pay what you weigh. And I had to get on the scale and they, they announced my weight like times five cents or whatever. So like, I think at the time I weighed 115 pounds. I was like in eighth grade and it was like 115. And then the entire restaurant here. And I remember being so mortified. Meanwhile, I didn't really have a concept of what was the appropriate weight or not at the time, but like, I remember that now at my age thinking, Oh my God, how mortifying that I'm getting on this scale and everybody in this restaurant knows I weigh 115 pounds. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't know that story. (laughs) Yeah. I thought of that the other day. I'm like, I could never imagine doing that to my own children at this point. You know, like how is that socially acceptable? Get on the scale and you pay what you weigh. Like, yeah, it's absurd. It's absurd. Wow. Yeah. So you were how old for that? You said like seventh, eighth grade. I think I was like 13. So I was probably like, if I wasn't in seventh grade, I was probably like just about in eighth grade. Like that's a time in your life where you're very impressionable and right. nervous and aware of your body changing and things like that. So right. um, that was something in my head that, that really stands out where yeah. I became like aware of my body, right? Like right. very aware and in terms of like the weight and whatever. Yeah. yeah. I can just imagine all of the people who are like sitting there nodding their heads to this, like, because what you're saying is right. You start at this young age where food is just like fun and exciting and comfort. And then also in some situations, food becomes stressful and anxiety provoking and like this other experience of food. And then all of that's happening behind the scenes, all of that's happening, like not even consciously. We don't even know that we're collecting all of these associations around food. And then you get to this point where around 13 ish, you start to notice your body and you, in your case, Amanda, that meant going on a diet. Right. So I just, again, want to reflect this back and make sure that this is accurate, that as soon as you start becoming aware of your own physical body and your relationship with food, it becomes body is not good enough and food needs to be restricted. Yes. Yeah. That's like ripped from the the playbook, right? Like it's the, the moment where you're like, oh, she's smaller than me, or she's wearing something that I want to wear and I want it to fit me the way that it fits her. Or, um, you know, I had brothers, so I was, I didn't have like, and my mom was pregnant a lot. So like, um, I didn't have like, a, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily aware of appropriateness, um, but I wasn't heavy. I, I definitely wasn't heavy, but I was learning all of this stuff externally, um, from who people I saw at school and, you know, whatever in the media. And I read, I remember, I think I shared with you, I remember that I read that, that one book about the girl who was anorexic. Um, it's like, it's like a well-known book, I forget the name of it. And she, and she says that she was restricting, restricting. And she I remember reading this like clear as day and she was eating the French fry and she allowed herself like five golden French fries. And I remember being like, how the heck did she eat five French fries and just like stop? Right, like how, dear Al, what is it, Alice? Go ask Alice. Yeah, you remember I that think. book? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that and she, I think that the whole point of the book is she was she was an anorexic, right? right. And it was it's this awful story, whatever. But like as a young girl reading that, right. you read it and you think, I wish I could restrict. I wish right. I could be. Meanwhile, she was sick. Like she right. was unhealthy. Right. She was right. gonna die. Right. Like, and I was like, I could never eat only five French fries. Like that was the takeaway that I that I got yeah. because it was what had been modeled and you know, expressed to me as a goal. Right. Right. And, you know, that messes with your head for yes. a long time. You're so right. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And also that you and I both know, we've talked about many times, this conversation and this work is not about the weight, but it's also really, I think, noteworthy that, like you said, you didn't have a weight issue. Like I, right. I, as a kid, I was overweight my whole childhood. So for me, it's like, I was very aware of my body and I was very aware that it was quote unquote overweight or too big. But what you're saying is you became aware of your body. You became aware of a relationship with food. And it was just already in that place of diet culture. It was already internalized and you didn't even have a weight issue, quote unquote, according to doctors or whatever else. So 
you are the story of many in that way, unfortunately. So tell us a little bit about like, what was it like for you as a teenager going through that? I think, you know, as a teenager, I was kind of athletic and I, you know, I was always interested and I've always been an exerciser. So that wasn't really um, an issue for me, but um, there were some people in, you know, you go through different, I was new. I went, my family moved to New Jersey from New York for like, I lived there for four years before I moved back to New York city. And, um, you know, I was new. And so when I came, people were like, oh, she's a city girl. And, you know, there was attention that was paid to me. And then you, you know, you go through like different groups of friends and who you wind up being friends with isn't necessarily who you started out with, but there was one girl who was just naturally thin. Like she had just like flat stomach and like she was kind of shorter she wasn't like the prettiest girl but like she was just had a nice body and I recognized that in like ninth ninth grade and I remember one day she came over to my house and she was like doing sit-ups at my like on the floor which is just even stupid that she's like in my bedroom doing sit-ups like who's I'm like go exercise in your old whatever anyway (laughs) I remember thinking her saying to me like oh well your body's a little different because like my torso shorter than yours and like we got into this, this debate about like our body type. And I remember thinking like, I wish my stomach was like hers. Like I wish my stomach was just as flat as hers was. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that, um, I, I'm, I'm never going to have that stomach. That's not what my body is built. Like I could be as thin as I want to, and I'm still never going to be like that. That's her body type. Right. Like, but I remember thinking, I just wish for a moment and that it kind of like, um, it kind of followed me through high school where I wasn't really crazy with food yet, but I was kind of on my way where like I worked at the gap. I would go to like the gyro place and I would just order only get the two pitas. That's all I wanted. But like, I wouldn't just eat one pita, but I loved pita bread. So like I would get two and I would eat the first one. I'd be like, Oh, I'm so full, but I have the other one. I can't wait to eat it. And I, you know, and that was the distraction probably from, I didn't want to go to work or I was annoyed that the girl had a skinnier stomach than me, or my mom was being, you know, whatever, or any number of reasons was just like the PETA sounds like a good solution. And, um, then, you know, I did diet pills and then I kind of just like, you know, like I said, I was, I was athletic. I wasn't, and I wasn't heavy. I, I, even I see my pictures from, from high school, like I wore a two piece bathing suit. I, you know, I wasn't you know, and I was never, it really, it was never really, never should have been an issue, the issue that I created it. And then it really all kind of imploded when I got to college. That was really, um, it's really when it sort of peaked and it stayed that way for a long time. It stayed in a bad, probably until just like us working together, like recently, probably from the time, about the time I was 18, 19 until like 20, almost 20 years later, it, it really just kind of, became a part of my life that I was aware of and tried to ignore and, but really kind of dominated and called all the shots for a long time, I would say. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this. So the first thing I want to say is I think part of why it's so important to hear stories like this is because you are an example of someone who has gone all over kind of the spectrum of behavior around food, like the, you know, diet pills and restriction and and diets and all of that kind of stuff. And you can go for years and years and years and decades of being in this place around food. And I think the important thing about it and the reason it's important to share is because there are literally in the United States alone, there are millions of people who are struggling more with what we're calling disordered eating than people with diagnosed eating disorders. And that's a really important point, right? That's another thing that you and I like having common is that I, in all of the struggles and all of the shit that I went through around food, I never got a diagnosis for an eating disorder, but at any point, any professional that I was working with could have looked at my relationship with food and said, there's really something up here. There's really something that needs attention. And, and again, I just kind of say that because I think about the people who can be listening to this, who maybe can't find themselves in a diagnosable eating disorder and don't feel sick enough, quote unquote, to have a treatment plan or have a care plan or something like that. But it's the same struggle and it's equally as valid. And I just think, you know, we, you and I have the experience of kind of falling through the cracks of the system in that way. And, and I think I just want people to know that I see them 
because there are so, so, so many of, of that. Um, I, th- I think yeah. another point that's important to mention about that to your point is if you looked at me, you probably wouldn't look at me and think, yes, that girl's fucked up. Like that woman has like some issue that, you know, you'd probably just think, oh, she's fine. Like she's fine. But in my head, <laughs> it was always, it was always, it's, you know, it was always not good. It was never good. It was yeah. never, ever good. It yeah. was always, and it was always loud and like dominating and bossy and like mean. And, and I did a really good job for a really long time, just being sort of like, that's fine. Yeah. It, I mean, she's there, but whatever, it's fine. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who have, who share that also. So real. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for pointing that out because even I growing up as someone who was in a bigger body, I would be, I'll be the first to admit that years ago, I would have had that same assumption. Oh, you've been thin your whole life. You have no idea. And it's like, hold on Mm -hmm. because this work is not about the weight or the size of your body. It's really about what's going on inside. There's just no way to know. There is no way to ever know. So I really do appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. So for the last 20 or so years, when you say that this has been in a kind of dark place, what has that been like? I mean, it's been hard. Um, it's been hard. Like when I went to college, um, I had moved out of my house and that was a very difficult time. I went on my, I mean, I say my first diet was like in seventh grade, but like I, it was the first time I went ever in like when I was a sophomore in college I went to Weight Watchers and it worked like it really, I lost like 20 pounds. Then I was like, you know, in my own little world, I was, I guess I could say like, I was kind of okay. Um, I, I wasn't really doing manipulating the points or being like a crazy Weight Watchers person. I was just kind of like following along and like eating in moderation and exercising and sort of feeling good. Um, but I didn't have the emotional, I realize this now I didn't have any emotional awareness of like what was really happening. So like the minute I got around other people who did other things, I didn't have any, I didn't have like, I don't want to say strength because that's not the right word, but I, I just fell apart. And so I was in college. I had roommates. One of my roommates was my best friend since I was 10 years old. And like, we just played a lot of games with food together. Like we would binge together. We would not eat together. We would, you know, so I did it all. I mean, and then I graduated college. I kind of got a grip on it. Like my senior year, I was very, I was like always at the gym. I was always running. I was also taking, um, what are those pills called? And I forget what they were called. Like Maybe like, yeah, hydro, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't that, but it was like that. And I remember one day I took the pill and I was at the gym at school and I was listening to music and I just had like a great workout and I kicked the door just cause I was like, just kicking it, like just to push it open. And I kicked it so hard that the glass shattered. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I'm never taking these pills anymore because now I feel like I might really do some harm. And I, yeah. you know, I didn't, wasn't even aware of, and I, so I never did that. I just, I actually went back to my dorm and flushed them all down the toilet but then, you know, I graduated, life changes, 9-11 happened. I had trauma around that day. I had, um, a, you know, just a, just a very stressful time. I was in a new job. And then I was young and kind of free to just like be an asshole with food. And it really wasn't be an asshole with food. It was like, you know, those are years in your life that are really hard where you don't really know what you're doing you're kind of faking it. You're going out a lot. You don't have a lot of money. You're like trying to find your way. And food was just like fun for a long time. I would say it was fun. Um, and then it wasn't because then I gained weight, then I'd lose weight, then I'd gain weight, then I'd lose weight. I was like Atkins. Then it was Weight Watchers. I always went back to Weight Watchers. Like I, it worked once, so I'm going to go back. Um, it was the Mediterranean diet. It was a freaking nutritionist who told me to do like 8,000 freaking squat. Like it was just, it's just been stupid. And then when I got a little older, it kind of changed again because I was like, well, I have to, you know, in truth, I I've always struggled with like 10 or 15 pounds at the most, like, and that's not nothing, but that's not everything either. Right. Like there's a lot to that. Right. And so I was pretty much like the kind of person who would say like, 
I always was, I, in my head, I always knew that I was like on some kind of plan, but if anybody ever asked me, I'd be like, no, I'm not watching. I'm not talking about that. Like, what are you talking about? No, I, I'll eat anything. What do you mean? Um, and so it was a lot, it's a lot to carry all that around. It feels heavy to yeah. always be, it's like, it was like my diet or my eating was always like the secret until it wasn't like if I was eating, I would just be like, Oh, I'm just eating whatever. And I would just make like, it was nothing. But then if I wasn't, I was like, well, I'm not doing anything. So I don't know why anyone's even asking me if I'm on a diet. Like, what are you talking about? I'm so cool with food. Like, <laughs> so there was never like a middle really. And then I got into fasting and I, I actually kind of liked intermediate fast, intermittent fasting for a while. And then I was like, I'm hungry. Like, I'm just hungry. <laughs> so that got tired too. And then I was like, let me try Noom. And then I was like, what does this even mean? you're telling me to eat and then you're telling me to exercise and that this equals this. And I was like, I'm just, I don't even want to count anything. I'm tired. And then I just, you know, I just like when I, I guess when I, by the time I got to you, I was just exhausted. I was just, I've just even, ex- even just talking about this, just exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, see it. I hear it. Like, I just started I mean, thinking like, Oh God, <laughs> it's, it's incredible because it's like, I mean, okay, we'll get to, you know, how we met and everything after that, but just reflecting on everything that you're saying, it's like, because again, you and I have this in common where I've spent the time and energy and effort of being on a diet and not just being on a diet, but then all the energy of like being nonchalant about the diet being super chill and like, it's not that big a deal. And like that takes so much energy and there's, it's such a suck of energy and life it is so, and like now we can sit here and look at that and talk about that and witness that. But we've both also lived through riding that roller coaster and paying no conscious attention to it. And you can live this, you, some people live their entire life this way around food, but it's just incredible. I think you and I are feeling the same thing, like the heaviness of what that feels like on a day to day basis. And then honestly, just the power of denial, the power of the illusion of everything is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And ultimately how exhausting that is. And I think what you have in common with basically everyone that comes and works with me is you get to a point where you cannot do it anymore or you will not do it anymore. You just refuse to live in the cycle. And so like, I love that you said that, that is by the time we start working together, you had to reach a point already where you were so done yeah. with, the, with that. The other yeah. thing I was just thinking of is like the other part of what my common commonality has been through like all of those diets also, I think I've shared this with you before is like how I was like, well, those are the recommendations, but like, I'm going to do it this way. Because yeah. like, I know better. Like even I went to overeaters anonymous meetings because I was like, I'm fucked up. I need to sit in a meeting and like talk to people about this. And, and then they would say what their recommendations were. And I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, there's no way I'm going to go in there and be like making amends to people because I eat their fucking M&Ms. Like I am not doing that. And then, and then even there was that, then I had like, (laughs) then I had like a food therapist, like, and I was like, and she was like, so why do you think you're binging? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you think you could tell me? And meanwhile, I'm like, I'm binging because I don't even want to be here. Like my point is, yeah, it, it was so, I guess by, to your point, like by the time I reached you, I had already like, done all the things, but I didn't even, I might've done them appropriately for like, meaning like to the letter of the law, like for the first week or month or whatever of said choice food plan. But then I just was like, I'm smarter. I'm better. I'm not doing that. I'm not following the rules. I hate you. I hate me. I hate everyone. So I'm not doing anything. And this is why by the time I started talking to you, I was like, just put a bullet in me. Yeah. 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 I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. I, I'm so glad you said that too, because I, the thing is part of the reason I think all of these components of it is important is because if you're someone that's hearing this and listening to this and relating to this with all the love in the world, I want you to catch what parts of this are true for you too. And I also definitely all along my journey with food was like, I see what you're telling me to do and I'll just do it a little bit more or do it a little bit better or I'll just do it in my way. And this way of 
ultimately what we're trying to do is control, 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 control our bodies, control our food, just control. And it's like, you're going to tell me what to do, but I'm going to control it even more. And it's really valid. And it's really, quote, normal. It's very human. It's really okay. It's really okay that you're trying to control everything and play God. It really is. And we also can't do that if what we want is health and healing. So we're both, you and I, Amanda, coming from a place of like, been there, see you, hear you, know you, am you. We love you so much. And it's so real. So, okay. Then... You found me. How did you find me? And what was that like? Um, so I had my first child in 2014 and I had my second child in 2016. And like a month after I had, or June, I guess, February to June, whatever that is. I um, woke up one morning or I was at work or something and I had terrible back pain that I couldn't figure out what it was. Turns out, shocker, I am a TMS candidate person. I've been diagnosed with TMS and um, and I really didn't know what to do about that for a very long time. Um, I actually had an alphabet's worth of symptoms that I just couldn't get over and couldn't understand. And, um, um, and that really threw me for a loop because some of the physical symptoms I was having was preventing me from, from exercising. And despite all of my issues with food, exercise has always been solace for me at any weight. And um, so I started once I had the do a doctor, uh, an audiologist who suggested to me to read a book about Sarno, I did that. And then I started opening my eyes to the idea that there's, you know, this mind-body connection. And now, um, you know, it's taken a long time. But in the course of my TMS work, I listened to a Nicole Sachs um, podcast. And I think you were on one of those, or maybe I followed you because she followed you or whatever. But um, it made a lot of sense to me, given what I was, I what I was starting to learn about myself in terms of my chronic pain stuff that, um, that would play out and manifest in my food stuff. And, um, like I said, I was exasperated and I think at the time exasperated because I was still suffering from a lot of the chronic pain that I had been experiencing. My symptoms had moved around a lot, but, um, it, it was still there and it was still something that I was consistently dealing with. And that felt like too much on top of, me trying to once again, figure out a food plan. Um, I had anxiety about going to the doctor because I didn't want to get on the scale because I didn't want to have to hear my doctor say, you know, whatever about my weight. And it just felt like a lot. And so um, I think I was a little bit nervous or yeah, I would say nervous about working together in the beginning only because I've spent so much money um, and I've spent a lot of time and I've, and I convincing myself like to your point about how like exhausting it is to be like in denial about um, what you're really dealing with. And I think that, I think it was just a time where I was like, I'm just going to be honest about this. Like whatever I've done before has not worked and I'm not happy. So let me just start with that. Right. Like I'm not happy and I'm tired of pretending that I am and I'm not normal around food. And I'm also really fucking tired of pretending that I am. So that for me sort of paved the way for me yeah. making a decision that I maybe wouldn't have in the past yeah. because I was so conditioned to just doing the things that I already done that I wasn't like sort of, but I think it was the TMS piece that just so much of what I'd been hearing about my own body and mind stuff was, it just, it just kind of was like the piece of the puzzle that felt like it was missing. Yeah. And that's another thing that you and I have in common is that it was like, for me, well, almost like the opposite, the inverse, like for me, I got into this mind body work with John Gabriel and maintaining my weight loss. And then when I stumbled upon Nicole Sachs talking about IBS and chronic pain, I was like, ah, well, I already kind of went through this, like, I, I don't have all the answers, I guess I'll just listen to this person. And, and it's like, 
I think it helps to have one of those experiences that kind of opens you up to a new way of thinking and opens you up to an alternative approach um, and just kind of makes it a little bit safer to leave behind the conditioning and kind of the only thing that you know. So yeah, I hear that. And that, that happens very often. And for anyone who's listening to this, when we are talking about TMS, we're just referring to the mind body um, symptoms, mind body pain symptoms and chronic physical pain, also known as TMS with Nicole Sachs. So um, yeah. Okay. So then you and I start talking, we start working together and I'm curious about just some of the things that shifted for you along the way, when you think about the time that we spent together and you can go chronologically, you can go however it kind of unfolded for you, but some of the things that really shifted your relationship with food. I think, um, off the bat, I think the, the thing that I thought most is like the light bulb was like, Oh, I don't actually really have a weight issue. I have an emotional issue. And like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, that means that you always say you're not going to solve a physical problem with an emotional solution or whatever, whatever that thing is, right. <laughs> an emotional problem with a physical solution. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I would say that I enjoy, well, first of all, I enjoy you, but like, I enjoyed the challenge of thinking about something in a different way than I ever had before. And, and it just made a lot of sense to me that, um, things that happened to me in my life would define this person I am now in terms of the behaviors I have and the way that I interact. And, um, I think that it all kind of changed. I don't think it really, I, I think I was hearing a lot and this happened to me with TMS. I, I was hearing things a lot and I, and I felt like I was living that a little bit, but like, I, I think there's always, in my experience, there's been like a moment where this happens and then, and then you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I get it now. I get it. And I think that happened to me. Um, when we worked together, when you said to me, like, write out the list of the things that about yourself, when you, you know, the, just be like honest. And I think me, I'd been doing journaling according to, you know, your recommendations and stuff, but some part of me was even resistant to journaling because I I've spent a lot of years in therapy and I've um, and I do have a lot of awareness for myself and um, but that doesn't really matter. Right. Like even being super aware, Oh, I have an eating issue. I have an emotional issue. I'm upset that my parents are divorced. Like saying those things is not the same as really feeling them in the way that you should have felt them when they were happening. And that was what really shifted for me. And so how does that change around food? How does that fit into, I don't know, but I'm not really afraid of food anymore. And I'm not, I haven't weighed myself in a long time and I don't really care about doing that. I feel, I feel a lot of relief from that. You know, I feel like kind of like I'm still a work in progress and it's still something that I, these are still issues that I deal with every day. Um, I, I share this with you a million times. I love macaroni. I just love it. And, and I'm okay with being a person who just loves macaroni and I'm going to eat macaroni and I might have two, two servings and I might be upset that I had two servings, but like, I'm not going to change that. I think I'm okay with that. I've changed other things. I've, I've become a lot more kind. Um, I've become a lot more forgiving. I've become a lot more just compassionate to myself, like in a way that I never allowed myself to before. And that really has made a big difference. That's, that's probably made all the difference actually, because it's just easier. It's just easier to be nice. It's not, it feels harder when you, when you're so used to being the other way, but it really does feel easier where, you know, like I, the example I always give you is like, you know, i tell you I've, if I've struggled with jealousy or, or that's a, a thing about myself, I don't really like that I could be jealous except it's not all of me. It's like what I am in a moment for a little while. And then, and then the rest of it is sort of just who I am as a good person. Right. I think because I denied that for so long, it became, you know, something that I just couldn't be at peace. I, I just feel like you just, I think for me, I don't know how to even like articulate this, but like just being really honest about my own humanity, if that makes sense. 
has really made a difference for me because like people are ugly sometimes. Like I'm ugly, right? Like, yeah, mostly people are good, but like for 10 minutes when I'm yelling at my kids, I'm ugly. And for, you know, five minutes when I'm pissed off that somebody has something that I thought I was going to get or I wanted, and then I'm jealous. But like, that's not like all of me. And because I was like denying that I had those things that I thought were not what I should be, it like, it was killing me. And I, and I feel a lot of freedom from, from being okay with that. If this all makes sense. It makes so much sense. Thank you so much for for sharing all that (laughs) and for saying all that there's, and I almost want to like, I want to help you like even articulate it because it actually makes so much sense. And I want it to make sense to everyone that's hearing this. That is, how do you, like we start working together, you feel like you've been fucked up around food for decades and then you realize you have an emotional problem and like now you're just a lot closer to love and compassion and like things are great and and easy around food. And it's like, how did that actually, how, like how, what is the mechanism that like, how does that actually work? And that's what I want to make sense to people because it's not random. <laughs> like it really is exactly, it's it's neurobiological and like physiological, it's energy. And like what we were just saying, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy to be in denial and to live in a place of denial of parts of oneself. So again, this is something you and I have in common. That is, we spent a long time pretending that we are never ugly, quote unquote ugly, that we are never the, what some people would refer to as the shadow or the shadow parts, right? Jealousy, um, cheating, lying, stealing, whatever, any kind of like fearful, negative scarcity energy. And if you live in a place of, I'm not jealous. I don't get jealous. I don't really feel jealousy. What you're doing energetically is using a lot of your energy to suppress and push down the part of you that does feel jealous and does experience jealousy. Because the truth is you're a human, which means part of you experiences jealousy sometimes. Not all the time. And to your point, thank you for saying this, it's not all of you, but it is a part of you. And so what happens when you then go and journal about that and just tell the truth about that? Here's my experience of when I was jealous. This is what jealousy felt like. These are all the thoughts. Why does she have this? And I want that. And blah, 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 blah. And you're being the jealousy. You are embodying jealousy. <sighs> you finish journaling about that. You finish giving your jealousy a voice and you get to take a deep breath that, ah. <sighs> You no longer have to deny and suppress and repress that part of you. And because you're not living in denial and you're not creating that energy imbalance, Nicole Sachs talked to us about the emotional reservoir. That kind of living in denial and suppressing parts of yourself, that is what creates an overflow of emotional reservoir that then becomes something like chronic pain symptoms or it becomes a disordered relationship with food, or it becomes an addiction, right? Just the way you and I were talking about it. It's like, we're in total, we can be in total denial about it, just lie about it, pretend it's not a problem. It's like any other addiction, but that's exactly why. First, there's just an understanding that is, this is not a physical problem. This is an emotional one. First, we have to land there, right? You and I did some work for weeks before even landing there, seeing that on the same page. That is, this is an emotional thing. Okay, well, once you're there, it's well, what are what are we using this for? What are we covering up? What co- why what are we distracting from? And sometimes the answer is the parts of myself that are just true. Exactly like you said, Amanda, the parts of myself that are just my humanity, just the parts of me that are human. Sometimes I get angry, sometimes I get jealous, sometimes I get ugly. Sometimes I do things I regret. Sometimes I behave out of alignment with myself. And that's human. And so what we're really doing here when we're talking about this work is giving yourself a voice, giving yourself a witness, and ultimately moving closer and closer to kindness and compassion and empathy and love to and for and with yourself. And when you're in that place of love, everything becomes a little bit easier around food (laughs) because you're in a place of self-love. You're in a place of seeing yourself and being a safe landing for yourself and 
And, and that has everything to do with our relationship with food. So I, I really, I appreciate you sharing that and just also illustrating that in a lot of ways, this is what it means to come out of the cave is that we don't need to go to the place of habitual shame and blame and fear and regret and all that stuff. What we have to do is say, yeah, there are parts of me that are human. And what I vow to do is no longer pretend that they're not. And it's all okay. And then you get to take a deep breath and you get to live in freedom and peace and all those good things. So thank you, Amanda. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Having said all of that, I think it's all really powerful. Um, was there anything else just from our time together, any of the conversations that we've had that feels really important or really present for you um, just around this conversation that you would want to share? I think um, probably a couple things like there's a sentence that I always think about, and I, I guess it's sort of manifested itself into my relationship with food, but not in like a, in a bad way, but it's the, the idea, like everything you want is on the other side of fear. Mm. And so I know that for a while in our time talking together, um, there was a lot of resistance for me, um, just sort of, you know, getting out of everything that I'd been used to. And also just being like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, this doesn't feel like it makes sense for me. And um, even with TMS stuff, like if you do the work, what's the fear behind doing the work? Like, I, I feel like I've spent a lot of time with the word fear and like either avoiding it or denying it, but then also sort of embracing it and being like, these things actually scare the shit out of me. Like I've actually had <laughs> the experience recently, like often um, where I'm like, I'm not going to have the second bowl of pasta and I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And then I have to say to myself, like you fool, like everything you want is on the other side of fear. Like it's really, you're not going to die if you don't have the fucking pasta. This, you know what I mean? Like, but mm -hmm. it sounds so silly and so ridiculous, but there's so much that rides on that idea that if you don't do what you've always done, what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know, but like, you probably won't get the same outcome. And that might be a good thing because guess what? It hasn't worked the other way. So there's that. And then something interesting, I think, is that um, because I don't weigh myself anymore and I'm not like afraid of that. Um, and also because I've, I've kind of stopped binging like totally. Um, I still have like a, a, you know, a day on the, what, you know, or wherever, like where I, I don't have like a, in, in a brain, like in a, in a diet brain, like it's not a perfect day, but because I, I've, I've sort of asked myself questions like, am I really hungry? I don't, I'm not, per I'm imperfect. I'm not perfect at this, but I. Wait, really, I, Hannah? You're not perfect? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> and I'm okay with that, but, but I have noticed changes in my body and it may only be changes that come from my, how I think about my body more than my physical self. But um, like, I'm stronger now than I was. I'm physically stronger now than I was before because I'm not so mad that I'm not so strong, right? right? Like <laughs> right. I'm sort of just like, I run three miles often and I don't stop. And I've done that for years, but like after I had my TMS stuff and until like um, most of my chronic pain went away, that was a big deal for me. Like being able to get back to that place felt like a big deal to me, but I'm, I'm physically fit. Like, and I, and I have a, a an appreciation for that, that I didn't have before yeah. because now I'm sort of just like, uh, it's, I'm not in it for the wrong reasons, if that makes sense. And I think that's an important distinction that like people talk about, like you want to lose weight or do you want to have health? Like you have that chart of like weight versus health. And I can say I'm full two feet on the health side. And I, and I feel like that is, that feels like a big thing for me, for a yeah. person who was always like, yeah, I'm on this, I'm on this. Now I'm sort of like, come get me. Cause you can chase me and I'm going to fucking beat you. Like <laughs> I'm going to run. And I'm like, you know, and I say, okay, yeah. be competitive, whatever. But like, I am very aware that I can do things with my body 
in a way that I have never appreciated before. So I'll say yeah. it that way. Yeah. And, and that, that feels big to me. Yeah, it is. It is. And so I think two really important things that you just said. One is everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I think in some ways it's like, that's like a really cute quote and that's like great and motivating and all that stuff. And on the other hand, the reason it's so actually so important is because at the end of the day, when we're talking about emotional eating, whether it's overeating, undereating, mindless eating, stress eating, whatever, whatever it is around the food, ultimately the reason that we have some disruption in our relationship with food comes down to fear. And very often in this work, for example, if someone is saying, you know, I, I need, I need, I really need to have that bowl of ice cream after dinner. Like I need it. I need it. And I don't care how many like calories are in the bowl of ice cream, right? That is not important to me. But what I am curious about is why do you feel like you need it and won't survive without it emotionally? So what's going on there? And the reason that this is what you're saying is so important, being on the other side of fear is because it's not just about not eating that bowl of ice cream or pasta or whatever it is. It's about the fact that if you don't use that bowl of ice cream to be your life jacket in the moment, you actually find out that you can swim. And that's why this is so important. Because by having that mentality of what I want is on the other side of fear, when fear comes up, very often our fear is, I can't feel that feeling. I won't survive it. I can't feel that emotion. It will kill me. And that's not true. It's fear. It's valid. And it's very relatable and understandable because most of the time our brain thinks our emotions are going to kill us. But that's why it's so powerful to say what I want to do is exist long enough that I just move through the fear. And then you actually show up at a place where, it, you know, you forget about the pasta, you forget about the ice cream because you just survived the emotion that you thought was going to kill you. And that is huge. That has everything to do with your relationship with food. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's huge. And I really just appreciate you sharing that because it's not about it getting easy. It's about there, there are going to be challenging times, but you have the capacity to survive them and you're stronger than you know you are. And right. it's and those it's, moments. It, yeah. And it's this, it's that, it's that idea. Like you say this all the time of like being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. um, that's a good metaphor, not just for this, but for like everything else in, in, everything. in my life, at, at least where like when things get a little icky, I'm like, all right, like here's where I am. I'm, I'm better now at looking straight ahead at what I'm dealing with than being like, well, I'm not going to do that because I shouldn't, or, right. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, and it, and, and I, and I hear that in my voice when I'm running, I'm like the first 10 minutes always suck. I'm right. going to just do it because it, they suck. It, ten, it sucks for 10 minutes, but it's, it's the idea of, of putting yourself in a situation for me. It's, it's, in, it's around food, but like yeah. where it feels weird and uncomfortable to, to, to do the thing that I'm not used to doing. Like, but I'm okay with that now. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That's so powerful. And the other, the other really important thing that you're saying, whether you know it or not, is what you're talking about is you're coming from a mindset of abundance rather than a mindset of scarcity. And it's kind of like whether or not your body has actually changed very much in terms of muscle or growth or strength or any of that stuff, what you're talking about, the reason it feels so big for you is because you have a mindset of abundance. So what that means is that when you're existing in your body and feeling your body, you're thinking about all the things that it can do and all the ways that it's really strong and powerful and the reasons that you're grateful for it versus the mindset of scarcity that is, okay, I'm feeling my body, but these are all the things I don't like. These are all the things that aren't good. These are all the things I want to change. And you can hear and probably feel immediately into, it doesn't matter what your body is. <laughs> it matters what your mindset is living right. inside that body. And it is huge to be in a place where you're actually shifted to a place of health, abundance, and embodiment, ultimately. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. It's cool. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely easier. You know, like yeah. I said, I'm not, I still feel like I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, of a work in progress because I'm, 
Um, but I don't have, I don't have, I can say the things that I can say with certainty is like, I haven't had a day where I've been like, even with buying clothes or putting on outfits, I don't have like the same, you know, like the scowl on my face towards myself. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's nice. Like, yeah. that's nice. I'm not, I'm not like, Hey, I love you in the mirror every day, but like, is anybody really doing that every day? I don't know. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it's a different, um, I mean, I, I, I would be, I mean, food drives every, it, it, if you have a negative relationship with food or any relationship, that's not, you know, if you're not free from food, it dictates your mood. It dictates, I mean, it, it really can yeah, suck the life out of you. And, um, I just feel, and the other thing that, that, that has been really nice too, is, is that I've, um, I've really started saying to myself, like, what do I want to eat? Like, mm-hmm. what do I actually want to eat? Mm-hmm. So like, if you want to have, you know, a, I used to have, like, I told you this when I, we first started talking, I'd be like, I don't even eat bagels anymore because I just love them so much. Like, think about that sentence. Right. I love bagels so much that I don't eat them anymore. Yep. Like, it's so ridiculous. And so that's gone. I mean, I still, like I said, I still my mostly what I struggle with now is just like overeating foods that I really enjoy, but I don't ever full fledged binge. And, and I do eat what I want to eat, like when I want to eat it. And I, I can eat now, God bless me. I can eat like one tiny little Milky way every day and be like, Oh, I had my Milky way. Like, <laughs> but that makes me happy. Yeah. And I don't like think about eating the bag. I don't think about like, hiding it for my children and like I'm just sort of like a person who eats one little Milky Way a day and I'm cool with that like bless <laughs> in a way that I never was before yeah <laughs> yes. yeah but you know what I mean like it's yeah I, I, I always sort of rolled my eyes at like oh eat intuitively and I think I've said this to you like a million times like I don't know what the fuck that means like I'm gonna intuitively overeat everything in sight however I kind of get the idea of saying to yourself like okay I'm physically feeling hungry like what what do I actually want to eat right now? And um, that's kind of liberating too. Yeah. Just be like, I'm going to eat the thing that I feel like eating and then just eating it and moving on. This is like revolutionary stuff. It is. For somebody who's been like, (laughs) for somebody who's been in the the war with, with themselves and, and with food and stuff, like to feel that um, even as I'm talking about it now, I'm like, it's just, it's really just amazing to just be able to be like, yeah, I I just wanted the bagel. So I just eat it. Sometimes I eat half of it and I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, I never felt that before because I was always like, how are you not going to eat the whole bagel? What do you mean? Eat it. Shut up. Eat it. Like, I'm like, I've had enough. I'm done. I don't know. It's amazing. And I, I hear, I mean, listen, I, I know it, I've seen it. I've, it's been honestly the, like the biggest blessing to be a part of this because truly like, I can't imagine how many people hear this and are like, I spent my entire life on a diet. I've been fucked up around food for the last 30 years too, blah, 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 blah. And to hear something like I ate a whole bagel and who gives a shit. And also I'm going to have a Milky way a day and I'm fine with that. Like we desire freedom we desire peace. And it is no small feat that you've gotten yourself and done some serious work to get to a place of, you know, where you are in this. And ultimately, I think that the real, real point that I don't want to finish this without saying is that when you practice doing things like journaling about your fear and jealousy and blame and all that kind of stuff, what you're doing is giving yourself a voice so that when you then go to eat the bagel and that voice that you've been in denial of comes back up and is like, you're going to eat the whole bagel. Really? You're going to eat the entire bagel. You're like, Psh, yeah, I'm going to eat the whole bagel. Leave me alone. And then it like goes away because you're engaging with that voice. You're no longer running away from it. You're not suppressing it. You're not denying it. You're not resisting it. You're just saying, Oh, you don't think I can eat all you don't think you don't think I should eat the whole bagel. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna eat the whole bagel anyway. And then you get to live your life because you're giving that a voice elsewhere. It doesn't have to intervene in your relationship with food to get your attention. And that is again how this works and why this work works <laughs> is because of that. You're really coming to see and hear yourself. So when you come up in real time, you have power in the moment to behave in alignment. And that's, I think, yeah, I think the only other thing I would say too, is just for like people who are, you know, maybe they're just like 
the beginning or starting and like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I, maybe this is like unpopular opinion because I know that you're like a dedicated journaler or whatever. And I can be, but I can also not be. And I feel like I, what works for me at this point is just sort of being very cognizant of, of what I'm feeling, when I'm feeling. And, uh, you know, I've done the 30 days, like 20 minutes for, you know, however long, like I've done it, I've done it. And I, and I, I can say with absolute certainty that it really was the best present I could have ever given myself. And I don't, I don't mean that that needs, I don't, for me, believe that it needs to be the kind of thing that I do every single day because I have other, um, I read that Oprah book and it's like about this idea of like people who are able to, uh, how they get their release and like what their, um, there's a word for it, but I can't think of it. Anyway, like part of what my world is, is like my yoga and my running or, the, you know, the bike or, and I meditate and whatever. Sometimes I write, sometimes I don't, sometimes I write something completely different, like that's creative, whatever. But my point is that that honesty that you get from answering those questions that have probably been nagging you for most of your life anyway, which is if you've been struggling with food for 20 years, there's got to be a voice in your head. That's like, why the fuck am I like this? Why am I like this? Right. Aren't we always just saying like, why am I like this? How come I can't just be normal? Like there's an answer to that and it's annoying to have to ask it. I've rolled my eyes more times than I care to count, but like me facing that, has really been like one of the most beautiful things I think I could ever have done for myself. Really. Like I was unemployed when I was, we were finishing our time. And I think I, even now I think back and, and I think like, what a beautiful gift to give yourself, like just forgiveness to be who you are, like just be who you are. And that, cause there's so much good. Right. And yeah. it's just such a relief to be like, okay. Like, and I, and I know that the path, my long winded answer here is like the path to finding that really has to be from doing the work that you don't really want to do that I didn't really want to do, but like that I am, I will never not be grateful that I did that because I was able to see a side of myself that I've been spending. So I'd spent so much time pretending didn't exist. And then it's just to your point, like, it's just, okay. Like, okay. So, so you were mad. All right. Now what? Like, even when I say this to my kids now in my, cause it, you know, and this, this is the other thing it it plays out in my, like I'm Mm -hmm. able to do for my children. what I was never able to do for myself, which is to be like compassionate and like, all right, you're mad. But like, we've, I had this conversation with my daughter, like two, three, two weeks ago, like she's my mom. I think my jealousy is coming back. And I'm like, you know what, man, it's going to come back. Your jealousy is going to come back and you're going to feel it. And then it's going to go away. And then what? And then what? She was so angry that I didn't give her a solution. And I actually said to, to my, I said to myself, like, I don't need, I need a solution. Like, give me the solution. <laughs> but I mean, this is it. This is like, this is what, what it, it's like, what life is. It's just, it's just what it is. Right. It's just, you don't want to do certain things. You don't want to feel certain things, but like big fucking deal. Cause you do and you will, and it'll be fine. Right. And I think that anyway, do the journal, just, <laughs> just do the journal. <laughs> That was so beautiful. It really was. It really, really was. I mean, really, I, I hear you so much. I know it's so true. And yes, it's just, it's so powerful to hear you say all of that. And I think the biggest thing, like you said, is it's not, this is just life, man. Like this is just life. Like life is happening and we're either telling the truth about it or we're not. And if you're not telling the truth about it, you might see that come up in your relationship with food. And if you are telling the truth about it, then things around food will will really be peaceful and simpler. And that's just that's just life, man. And when you're in this place, you're seeing, hearing yourself, you're feeling your feelings, you're telling the truth. You start to embody that and your kids feel that. Your family feels that. Your coworkers feel that. Your friends feel that. Your community feels that. The world feels that this is what we're doing here. So, oh, amazing. I love you so much, Amanda. Thank you for doing this. I love you too. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Any last words for all the listeners? No, I just think like, just keep going. Yeah. Like keep going. Keep going. Even when you think you don't want to keep going. Amazing. The only, what is the other thing that I've I've been thinking? The only thing, the only way to do that, 
everything you want is on the other side of fear. Yeah. But I had like a running coach in high school who was like, well, you know, the only, the only way to run faster is to run faster. Yeah. Which is just like a really amazing way of saying like, the only way to do the hard thing is to do the hard thing. Yep. Just do it. Here for it. Thank you, Amanda. You helped a lot of people today. Thank you. Thank you.